Hello, this is Empowering Women Through Sports. Hey listeners, this audio quality on this episode is a bit challenged. Try to stay with it though, because this story is about circus performers, Romanians of unusual size, love and compassion. No, it's not an expose on the Princess Bride. It's about Carmen Curtis, a collegiate national championship gymnast who parlayed her talents into the world of aerial yoga and aerial performance. Think Cirque du Soleil and acrobats flying high above a stage on bars or fabric ribbon props. You'll hear about this journey and how the mind helped her through physical and emotional challenges and working as a team pretty much saved her soul. Carmen's husband, Greg Curtis, was a gymnast and Cirque performer as well. And together, they created the Aerial Studio in Ventura, California, where they focus on circus and aerial arts, acrobatics, and live events and production. I'll pick up the conversation here where I asked Carmen how she met her husband, Greg. He was a gymnast at the Olympic Training Center and national champion gymnast, and then went into Cirque du Soleil. All of my friends were his friends because most of the Olympians that were men Olympians went to UCLA. That's a small world. Yeah, especially at the high level gymnastics, it's a small world. Um, And most of us, you know, have turned into family. We've been together and gone through so much together. So it's a tight knit family. Great. Well, I can't wait to get into all that too, that, you know, sports bring out that connection and community. Mm -hmm. Huge. A lot of people say they have their like sport family and then they're, you know, blood, real family. And a lot of times with teams, it does become your family for sure. And even later, as we get older, we, we realize how strong a bond that was and how important that was and how lucky we were to have that. I mean, for me going into UCLA, can you imagine this girl from Oregon and a giant, giant university, but I had my team. So I had automatic friends and support. So that's where you grew up in Oregon? Yep. <laughs> grew up on a farm. My parents are total hicks. <laughs> Super small town. My parents weren't very educated. It was a pretty rough life. It was a beautiful atmosphere. Uh, grew up just outdoors, running, biking, hiking. My father was just total athlete, gymnast, super healthy, granola, total Oregon, literally. My snack for the day would be when I would get some honey and peanut butter and oatmeal all into a ball, and that was my big sugar rush of the day. So he was super, super hippie natural. Carmen had shared with me that living at home wasn't so easy. Yeah, they didn't like each other much, so it was kind of a rough home life, but I started gymnastics, and... I was good and I liked it. And that was my just get away. So at 11, I got accepted to an Olympic gymnastics camp and then I ended up living there and I moved out at 11 and moved away from my family and lived with um, a mom that had their daughter there that had moved from Alaska and she housed four of us girls. And I trained at this National Academy of Artistic Gymnastics and The reason I went there is it had Juliana McMahon and Tracy Talveras, two main Olympians. So it was a breeding ground for Olympians. So that was my goal and dream. At 11, you knew. I think think that's a little bit a part of my personality that I didn't really understand until later in life, that um, I was very focused and driven. And some of it, I think, came from when I 
was at the gym. I just I didn't have to be home. And that I think was also a motivating factor. And then I just, I had the right body type. I mean, I'm like one of those people I do two push-ups and I have a more muscle developed. It's just, I was short and just hard. My mom put me in ballet because her dream was to be a prima ballerina, but they told her she was too fat. So she was like, well, I have this little fitness girl, so I'm going to put her in ballet and she's going to live out my dream. And um, I literally got kicked out of ballet for doing cartwheels and hanging by my knees on the ballet bar. And oh my God. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Pretty driven. Um, I felt like that was what I wanted to do. And this was the way to get there. And so I think I was kind of blind from anything else, just going to go ahead and go for it. I mean, we started gymnastics every day at 5.15 in the morning. We started actually, we had to do ballet. Oh my God, I had to do ballet oh. in the end. <laughs> no. And then we did gymnastics for the rest of the day until 12.30. Then we went to school from 12.30 to 3.30. Then we came back to the gym from 4 to 6.30. And then we went to bed and... Uh, woke up and did it again seven days a week. Good God. Yeah. And you yeah. never started crying or burned out or? Hmm. I cried more from waking up in the morning. I think that was the hardest part for me. But the mom I lived with, I don't even know. She would come in with a hot washcloth, put it on my forehead, give me a little massage, and I'd have to get up at 3.45 in the morning because <laughs> we lived a half an hour away. But I didn't really cry until I was torn away from there. What do you mean, torn away from there? It was a rough place. I mean, talking about gymnastics, we can just tell the truth right now. In my generation, um, I mean, there was a lot of Russian and Romanian coaches coming over to the United States. And there was a new method that was more violent. It It was rough physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually. It was just totally violent. But it was kind of crazy. And this is just when you talk that way, you got good really fast. And it was really a breeding ground for amazing athletes because, like, you don't want to get hit. You don't want to get hurt. You don't want to get smacked. And so it definitely got us better fast, but it has awful long term effects. And it's not a way to teach at all. But that was the method that was acceptable at this time. Although they also tricked you a lot because those that were, pushed more and hit more were really the ones that were loved more. And they said, because it made you better. So it was just a whole, you know, awful kind of situation. It's also something that like, I didn't know was wrong when I was young. First off, no parents were allowed in the gym. There was no windows. Um, There was back rooms that were places that you were taken. And as a 11 year old, this wasn't like talked about in my family, anything like this. We didn't have these kind of conversations, this kind of, of like, that wasn't right. Also, if your adult says, okay, shake his hand, you're like, do what they say, or, you know, give your aunt a hug. You're like, okay, you know, or sit upright, do what you just, you do what you're told. I think some of us knew that it was wrong, but didn't totally understand. And then the other thing is that we were getting really good. And then there was attention given at the competitions and, you do it better or else, and you don't want to know what or else is. Yes. If you did it wrong, if you slow, it wasn't perfect. Um, 
And the wife was just as abusive. She had a stick, she would smack, she would throw cups around. The men coaches were bigger, so they'd pick you up and throw you against the wall or the drinking fountain or smash you to the ground or take you in the back room. And it's not the same for men's and women's. Gymnastics is little girls and men coaches and spotting, touching, holding, traveling with these little girls that don't stand up for themselves yet because we're not allowed to or we can't. Well, what about the guys? Well, gymnasts were older, bigger, stronger. They peaked at like 26. If their coach said something, they'd be like, what do you say? You know, yeah. they're like, you know, punch them. <laughs> Did you ever get injured? I actually ended up at 15 getting um, hurt. I wasn't flipping my wrist fast enough on the bars and the coach got mad. So he stood in front of me. And so I fell into him, which I fell on my neck. So my neck was turned to the side. And it sounds like the craziest story. But so I had to go walk to the chiropractor in the rain alone. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but uh, supposedly I passed out. And so I, whatever I told to the chiropractor was not what the coaches said. So there was this discrepancy. So my father was called in and my father didn't feel like things were right. And so he took me home. And um, I cried then. I, I, I was so mad because then I was like, my dream, I'm not going to be Olympian. And, and instead, I had to do physical therapy for my neck. So he took me home and I went to a normal school and I had to swim. And this is also part of my personality. So I had to swim for my physical therapy. So I joined the swim team, which started before school at 5.30 in the morning. And was on the swim team and then just became an amazing swimmer. And actually, ultimately, at the end of my high school career, I got to choose a gymnastics scholarship or a swimming scholarship. So I like just took it to the next level. I don't know how to do anything like, oh, this is fun for physical therapy. This is just like, ah, charge, charge. But I grew up. I actually grew like three inches. I developed. I went through puberty. I had a boyfriend. I went to a school dance. I was a cheerleader. I was like, I had a normal life. It was very strange. I hated my father for taking me out of that situation. But I also began to understand that that was not right. And then, um, well, my father ended up finding another gymnastics studio. And he was like, it's not a great one. They don't have any Olympians. And it's just going to, they have this thing where they're working towards college scholarships, you know, which we don't have a college education. So you, you, you should try and do this. And we don't have any money. So, <laughs> so I went to a gymnastics studio where it was so much easier to train. We trained four hours a day, five days a week. From what you came from, that was like a cakewalk. You're like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. I could do this and go to school and have a boyfriend and swim in the morning and <laughs> You know, I ended up getting a full ride scholarship to UCLA, which is the biggest opportunity I could have ever imagined. It was a top school academic and sport wise, and it was number one for gymnastics. And the coach was a female, Valerie Condos, and she gives scholarships to only the Olympians usually. So I got recruited with three other Olympians and me from Oregon. <laughs> it was definitely one of the biggest transformations of my life that really made me understand that whatever I went through made me who I am. And ultimately they have become gifts to me, whether good or bad experiences, they are gifts 
to really mold me, shape me, and allow me to be where I'm at and inspire me to be of service and learn from it and help others and try to work towards never allowing any of those things to happen to anyone else. It's really hard to imagine how much Carmen had to go through for such a young athlete. But how lucky for her, though, to have Valerie Condos as her coach at UCLA. Miss Val, as they called her, is the third most winning collegiate gymnastics coach ever. This is a testament to where a good coach, a positive mentor, can change our lives for the better, help us see the world in a new way, and give us tools to forge ahead. Valerie Condos, holy cow, what she knows how to do is bring women together, lift them up, and create a team. And people just are inspired to be better around her and do better. But in totally positive ways. That's the first thing she did is that, okay, now you're going to have to do this for yourself. You're not going to have to do this because you want to try not to get hit or you're forced into it. If you really love this, then you're going to be great. And we're going to teach with love and compassion and support you. And I'm going to share everything that you need to do, but it's up to you to choose to do it. I'm not going to force anything upon you. When someone really wants to do it, they're going to do it harder, stronger, more. They start to have confidence. She listened to our story and told us that we're not alone, that it's not our fault, and that she will be an advocate and a voice. And the first thing that we have to do is go to counseling. And so all of us that came in, and this was a huge burden on her, is we all came in different people with the same exact story. She just knew that she had to empower us and teach us to go make the change, that the future was going to be the change. We had to do it. So we would learn about how to deal with our emotions, forgive, actually begin to forgive your coaches and almost feel sorry for them. Um, so going through counseling was really, really effective and helpful for me in being able to not regret or like what was wrong with me. Why would I allow that? I mean, I stood up, but why didn't I say more? Why didn't I force the parents to do anything? But it really allowed me to say that from now on, I'm going to try to be a voice and an advocate and help so this doesn't happen to anyone else. Carmen was attending UCLA at the same time that John Wooden was coaching the basketball team, and her coach, Miss Val, would collaborate with him. He created a pyramid of success by identifying the characteristics and traits that help define a successful person, and the pyramid narrows the list to 25 common behaviors. And this has become a roadmap, not only for athletes, but for life. And this was also her mentor, Coach John Wooden, who's just known as the greatest coach ever. He was amazing, and he would come in and mentor us. And but I love John Wooden. He's a hero. He is a hero. Oh, my God. Imagine this 18-year-old coming in and, like, how can this old man have such new ideas? So inspiring. And Valerie would be buzzing afterwards. They went through this pyramid constantly with us of compete with yourself. Be your best self. You can only be your best. Like, I can only be my best Carmen. You know, I can't be my best Allison. So it was like this real understanding of, huh, that if you compete with yourself, you can root on everyone else. 
And us working together is going to make each of us individually better. And also we're going to feel happier and it's just going to be fun and enjoyable. And I think that's what made us so incredible as a team and why we started winning. And we were fighting mentally. So many of them had eating disorders. I was super lucky for my father for being the total wackadoo hippie of teaching me when here's your protein on your whole wheat and this and your oatmeal is going to sustain you for a while with fiber and you need some more protein for your muscles just like uh, and it's mental disorders of like i'm not good enough or fear tons of fear i mean olympians would come and like crowley ranch used to take a tractor and chase them down chase them with the tractor as part of a training thing yeah especially if you're getting a little chubby Caroli Ranch, that's the gymnastics camp of Romanian coach Bela Caroli. It was the main training center for the USA Gymnastics national team until 2018 when it closed after the unfurling of the USA Gymnastics sexual abuse scandal. Netflix has a documentary out called Athlete A that goes into more of everything that Carmen is talking about. Yeah, the stories are ridiculous. And so, you know, the counseling help, but then also this integration of the mind is more powerful than anything else. So sometimes we're going to work out by sitting there and just visualizing. And then we have to have positive affirmations. We have to, in order to be a champion, you have to feel good about everything you did. Did you show up? Did you do everything you could to be your best self? And you'll know if you didn't, and then you'll be like, ah, okay, I didn't. But, you know, working with the mind at the same time was really important and start to understand how much it plays a role. Carmen and I talked a long time about the challenges she endured. There's a lot to say about it all. We've heard how the young gymnasts had huge struggles across the spectrum with this sport. Therapy helped for sure. And yoga turns out to be a saving grace as well as become a foundation for her future. So Valerie Condos then brought in this hippie with cut off jean shorts and Birkenstocks and long hair to teach us yoga. And so she brought this in when I was 18, when I was first there. Is your mind open at this point? No. I was like, God, that's my dad when he was little. Like, it's like hocus pocus. I'm not into it. Thank goodness he was teaching power yoga. He had just created a form of yoga called power yoga. His name is Brian Kest. So he became my first yoga teacher. He's a funny one, quite crazy. I think power yoga was really smart for us gymnasts because we were like, yeah, we have to hold and have to be hard. And it wasn't too uh, meditative yet. Um, although he was digging in some of that. We just didn't know it because he was funny and he swore a lot. So we were always like, <laughs> at UCLA, we we couldn't swear, you couldn't chew gum. It was like, you know, there's a lot of rules. So here's this hippie swearing. I loved it. It was really when my mind would just shut up. Before that, I would have to go for a run. When I would start to freak out, I would like run for miles and miles and until I could just hear that. <laughs> that was exhausting doing that much running. When you talk about needing to run or yoga, is that like before a competition? I think it were times where, you know, at UCLA was when I really was processing everything that I had been through and things would get to me. Um, and I wasn't, it wasn't miraculous of like, 
go through physical, sexual, mental abuse, and then feel a little bit tortured, and then all of a sudden it goes away. So I actually hated competing. It was, I loved training. I loved it. It was so much fun. Why do you think that was? Is it the stress of trying to be better than someone else on that given day? Yeah. I liked the process. I liked the sport and judgment was, oh, I like choreography or prettier. They both are amazing. How can you say one is better than another? Oh, the judging is so subjective. So subjective. And at my time, we hadn't fixed or tried to fix U.S. gymnastics. I was told once that if you talk about that coach, you will not win. And at UCLA in the collegiate gymnastics, it wasn't like that all the time, except at the highest levels, especially like when you went to regionals and nationals. And when I had to see those Olympic judges, it just wasn't, I wasn't into it. So you're saying that the, the judges were persuaded by the coaches. One of the judges was a wife of one of the worst abusers of my time. And she oh, also shit. abused. It was deep. The only way it could happen for that many years. Carmen shared with me that she loves the process and the sport of gymnastics. After all, she became a national champion through perseverance, working with her teammates and fighting demons through therapy and yoga. But the judginess and favoritism in the sport, the subjective evaluation, oftentimes by offending judges, were definitely off-putting. For Carmen, Coach Valerie was instrumental well beyond the gymnastics arena because one day Miss Val took Carmen and a teammate to see Kidam, her first introduction to Cirque du Soleil and the world of aerial performance. And this was a game changer. I just remember I was sitting there crying how amazing the human body is and the human potential. I was like... Everyone in the audience wants everyone to catch and grab and not fall and be great. They weren't going like, oh, I hope that trapeze artist does better than this one. They weren't judging that. And each performer wants each performer to be great. So everything I was learning at UCLA, be your best self, lift others up. I wasn't totally able to get that in the gymnastics world because we did compete in the end. But in Cirque, we didn't compete with each other. We became a family. We supported each other. Talk about trust, hanging 80 feet in the air by one arm and doing a flip and hoping and praying that he grabs my leg. At that point, you have to love and trust one another so much with your life. But also, they have to trust that you trained, you did your best, that you're putting in all your best effort too. You know, and this is a part of what, Sport teaches this, this discipline of, you know, it's not always easy. It shows like commitment and repetition and process and progress and going through those challenges and learning about yourself through them. And what I learned is that I like helping others and I like the training. This is why, you know, it's best for me to be a coach. I think it's different with people's mentality where they are if they're able to manage their anxiety and their stress levels. The more I learned how to deal with my anxiety, 
the easier it was to compete. The more I learned how to deal with my mental health of talking positive, the easier it was to compete. The more I let go of doing it for other people, the easier it was to compete. Um, I feel like being in a sport actually makes me better in, in business. Being able to stay committed and know how to work hard and have a work ethic and know how to communicate with people and how to build a team and how to build an opportunity for people to work together. And so I feel like going through all of that with UCLA and with Cirque has helped me as a business owner, which, you know, I never really would have thought of that at that time. We forget the, the mind and body are completely connected. Finding those tools so I can be uh, mentally prepared for whatever I'm going into, or if I'm feeling stressed or anxious, having tools to deal with that. You know, yoga, one of the great teachers at Yangar used to say, if everyone opened up their armpits, we would have less depression. And I was always like, hi, open your armpit. And that actually opens and expands your sternum and chest. It sends a trigger to the brain to make you feel happier. It increases your serotonin levels in your brain. So there's a change in your chemical balance from physical movement. Everyone that's doing sport, helping them mentally, whether it's tough and hard and strict and you're going through this process and you win or you don't win, you're still physically moving and, you know, helping your immune system, but also creating more endorphins and you're, you know, helping yourself sleep, you're helping yourself calm, you're helping making yourself feel more confident. So there's a really huge power in, especially women doing sport, you know? Amen. Sister. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Gosh. Well, in your business, aerial, aerialistic, aerial yoga, how does yoga become aerial yoga? What aerial yoga ultimately is, is it's using this circus apparatus, the hammock, but we're using it as a prop, a tool for yoga. So it's there to hold you, for you to hold on to, to use it like a bolster or a strap or a block. So it's all of the normal floor-based yoga, but the hammock becomes a prop to make yoga accessible to everybody, which is a huge part of my focus these days is trying to make sport physical movement accessible for every body. And then also it makes it more fun, you know, making it more fun will hopefully get more people to do it. And it can also make things more challenging and deepen it. And because I've spent the last 20 years in the aerial world, I understand how to use the prop. And because I've, for the last over 25 years, been in the yoga world, it was easy for me to uh, bring them together. Carmen has tapped into her skills in gymnastics, aerial performing, and aerial yoga to become a sought-after resource for aerial theater. Together, Carmen and Greg have worked on aerial performances for events like the 2008 Beijing Olympics and Dancing with the Stars and a slew of other concerts and events. Carmen has worked with big names in music like Beyonce, Lady Gaga, and Miley Cyrus on their shows and their dancers. She says they are big names for a reason. I remember working with Beyonce. She worked harder than everyone else. Here's the frick. This is the queen. She has money. She has fame. She has everything. You think that life was easy. She's probably oh, she's just drinking champagne all day or something. This girl is up before everyone else practicing her craft. 
training her her vocals, writing music, talking with the lighting and the sound, practice the dancing, learning the choreography, directing it, mom, wife, social, all day. She was there before everyone else and stayed later than everybody else. It's never easy. It's not that she was like, oh, life is hard, it's rough. It's like, I love this. This is who I am. So I'm just going to work hard. I'm going to give my best all day, every day. That's all there is, is just to love, learn, live, go for it, and work your ass off. There's no, that's the fun of it, you know, at all levels. I love the story about Beyonce. Another anecdote or anything about an, another performer? Ariel, you know, Cirque du Soleil came out and then all the pop stars wanted to do it. So it's kind of funny. They want to learn it like that and integrate it right away. So um, it's been wild ride teaching them and working with them. I think for all of them, when you get to meet them, Miley Cyrus, when we worked with her, I have this thought of who she's supposed to be, you know, on, on camera or like got her tongue out or whatever. And then you meet her in person, you work with her and you're like, whoa, this girl's talented. And again, she's working her butt off and she knows how to play the game. She sticks out her tongue. She gets more media. She gets more people. It's a lot of pressure on them. I mean, imagine standing in front of 50,000 people. And I remember with Beyonce, when she went on one point, the stage is supposed to turn and the lights go on, the whole thing happens and something breaks backstage. And here she's got, she's got a mic to hear herself because she has to go through all these ranges. And then she's got backstage on the other air. But within that backstage, you also have rigging and safety and lights. So she's standing there in front of 50,000 people. Nothing is going on. There's just a light on her. And all this is supposed to happen. And she has all these people talking in her ear. So she just decides to belt out a song just completely on her own. She actually sang a Prince song because Prince had passed that year. So it was kind of appropriate. And it was really amazing, brilliant. No one in the audience knew except all of us backstage. There's like, you know, 300 people backstage all like, oh, oh my God, we got to give it back together. And at the same time that she's singing it, people are talking in her ear. Oh my God. And okay, you got to finish the song soon. Okay. Cause we're about to go. <laughs> and then, you know, she stops and then it's, she'll hear five, six, seven, eight, and it all goes. The amount of pressure that they're under and what they go through and who they really are. They're all just normal people working extremely hard, super talented. Even the craziest. Gaga is crazy. She's crazy, crazy. I mean, her ideas are crazy. I don't think she's crazy. I think her ideas are just wild. She's fucking around in her G-string and bra and high heels while she's directing. But then she goes up, she's practicing her drumming. She's working on her vocals. She's actually directing the lighting cues, too. She does everything. Usually, like when I was there, I had created um, an aerial act for her which was the hardest aerial act ever because we had to do harness. And then in the dark, we had to come up and clip ourselves in, in the dark. And then the lights went on. It was really crazy wild. When we did this whole thing, I got to do the aerial part. But during that also, I had to do stand-in for her because she has to see what it looks like because she actually creates and directs the whole thing. And at the last minute, she's got to stick her butt in there and do it perfectly.
What a gift. Yeah. It was pretty cool. <laughs> wow, Carmen, thank you so much for sharing those incredible stories about your life, from gymnastics to coaching, your wisdom and guidance for others. Really, the stories are invaluable lessons for all of us. Do you have anything else to share with our listeners? You bringing this up really reminds me a little bit of how continuing to remember the athlete within myself is important. Teaching yoga so much, I sometimes forget that. It is physical movements, but remembering that the athlete from gymnastics, from the swimmer, from whatever I'm doing, but that athlete is really what continues to keep me motivated and and healthy. And what I learned from being an athlete has been a huge part of my success. Music for this podcast is created and produced by Gary Ferguson. Become a part of the Empowering Women Through Sports community. Learn when a new episode comes out by subscribing or following us on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Follow us on Instagram at EWTSPod, and it's super helpful when you share with your friends. Thank you, and keep charging. <laughs> <laughs>